On today's Money with Friends, it turns out that there are two groups twice as likely as their parents to say COVID-19 appended their financial security. Who are they? I might have given it away a little bit, but we'll talk about it with thought leader Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, on today's Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement outside of Stovermont. I'm Joe Saul Cihai. Coming to you from Hamilton County, Indiana, what people say when they don't want to say they're in the proper Carmel, Indiana. I'm the CEO of Hey Money, Pete the Planner. Why, why do I, whenever I hear Carmel, Indiana, it, I just think delicious. First thing I think. It's tawny. Or does it, how do you say it? I always say Tawny. Was it Tony? Is that how they say it? It's like a, a like a, a snobbish small it, town. Yeah, I think Tony? it's, I think it's Tony, but I don't know. But I do know this, Pete, that this is the podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're doing one from CNBC's Make It blog. Not only do we read them like some podcasts do, but we also dive into how they affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, Pete and I, we're going to share a big idea at the end of today's show you can take with you to be better with money the rest of your day and all in hopefully around 20 minutes. Today's show is brought to you by NordPass. We lock the passwords. You hold the key with NordPass. Store your passwords in the cloud, access them from the desktop, your desktop, mobile, or your favorite browser, all encrypted on your device for your eyes only. You'll get up to 50% off and a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you use our link at nordpass.com forward slash MWF, that's nordpass.com forward slash MWF and a guy picking the lock on this podcast back for more after yesterday. It's our friend, Pete, the planner. How are you, man? Never tell you about one of my strange YouTube addictions. It was this lock picking lawyer on YouTube. You have the weirdest for people that didn't hear yesterday. You watch laundromat operators walk around, taking yeah. money out. Now you got a lock pick guy. It's a lock picking lawyer. Lock picking lawyer. lawyer. I think he's in DC and he just buys locks and he's a lock picking expert. And people work with him, lock companies work with him before they release a lock because they, they want to see if he can pick it or not. But anyway, I'm a financial expert. <laughs> not a lock picking expert yet. Although you keep watching those videos, my friend, you could do it. Hey, on today's show, we're going to talk about COVID and about two groups that have been uh, really beaten up by this uh, to see who they are and to talk more about why they may have been beaten up. Let's uh, kick off today's show. Uh, let's see which one of our friends can help us. Hey, it's Paul from the Crazy Money Podcast. Money headlines explained six days a week. That means you're tuned in to Money with Friends. All right. This piece comes to us. As I mentioned, it's part of the CNBC Make It blog. And uh, Megan Lionheart, who writes a lot of the pieces, actually, that we talk about here, or a fair amount anyway. Uh, the piece is called Millennials Gen Z, twice as likely as their parents to say COVID-19 abetted their financial security. Pete, you want to do the honors? Yes. Younger Americans are reporting that the coronavirus pandemic has negatively impacted or even wrecked their financial stability at rates almost twice as high as their baby boomer parents. While the pandemic is potentially more of a health concern for older generations, younger Americans are feeling the financial impact. That's according to a new report from AgeWave and Edward Jones that surveyed 9,000 Americans across five generations in May and June. Just wait till August. The report found that roughly a third of millennials, ages 24 to 39, and Gen Z, ages 18 to 23, say that COVID-19 has had an extreme or very negative impact on their financial security. Meanwhile, 
Only 16% of boomers ages 56 to 74 and just 6% of the silent generation ages 75 and older felt the same. Uh, additionally, younger generations were more apt to report they've also suffered a mental decline during the pandemic. Started in March, the survey found about 37% of Gen Zers and about 27% of millennials say COVID-19 uh, has negatively impacted their mental health compared to 15% of baby boomers and just 8% of the silent generation. There are a lot of young people that are kind of running around pulling their hair out right now, says Ken Dykwalt, psychologist and founder and CEO of AgeWave. Meanwhile, older generations reported having fortitude, Dykewald says. The piece goes on to talk about older generations being more resilient, but I think that might be a little outside of our discussion here. But Pete, it looks like, almost like I remember coming out of uh, 2007, to th- uh, 2007, 2008, that millennials really beaten up just as they're getting out of college, jobs go away, housing sucks, parents losing their houses. We're getting the same thing now for another generation of people. In fact, my USA Today column last week, uh, no, it has a different column this week, was about um, a new college grad that doesn't have a job because they entered the workforce during unprecedented financial times and is living at home with mom and dad. Student loans are coming due and the grace period ends in January. So yeah, it's it, it truly is like that 2009, uh, spring of 2009 all over again, Joe, as a new generation starts in the hole. I feel uh, for people that are just starting to feel secure in their job, right? Millennials, which uh, many of which started off, as we said, in a period where they have, have, you know, very few jobs available. They managed to get one or they go back to school. This is even worse, right? They go back to school, Pete. That, that gives them another maybe two to four years. Then about 2012, 2013, they finally get in there. Now they're feeling good seven years later, and they're still one of the first people laid off. Absolutely. And what happened in 2008, 2009, which I have not seen happen yet, is that you see people just go back to school to buy themselves some time. And in some cases, this is where the for-profit universities got involved because people were going back and taking student loan money, not even going to class, just taking the money to live on. And and that actually was part of the for-profit college crisis because admission counselors were encouraging people to do this off the books, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, the younger generation – always gets the short end of the stick. Um, So it's not exactly surprising. And I'm also not saying I don't feel sorry for them, but yeah, this is not surprising. When it, when it comes to older people, I mean, especially when it comes to the, the the mental stability aspect, uh, our friend Eric hanging out with us over on Facebook says that that's been true in his uh, congregation. Uh, uh, Eric is a minister. Older members have been relatively financially stable, uh, but their kids and grandkids have had a big impact losing jobs, temporarily laid off, off it etc it it's it do you think that's it is it mostly the financial stability or is also that uh, younger people when they talk about the mental aspects of this pete uh, when we're younger we're more of a social being right we go out a little more we're, we're we we don't have this established family unit yet maybe so now we're more likely to be out in public a lot now we can't do any of that Yeah, I also think it's the evolution of modern society, too, that people are more willing to acknowledge and to dig into those feelings and to express them. 
Um, the silent generation, I, I'm pretty sure they weren't called the silent generation because they didn't talk about their feelings, but they didn't talk about their feelings. So it's not uh, exactly surprising that so this new crop of people, uh, not only have they they have high price student loans and they can't actually go to campus and they've got, you know, job loss and all these other things. But now they are truly acknowledging their own mental wellness. It's funny. We did a piece uh, on Stacking Benjamins uh, recently that uh, has not aired yet, but it is it is about this idea that um, that financial wellness in part is uh, is is uh, self care, right? That, that one of the first steps to self care is having a cash reserve and being able to not worry about your credit card debt. And to some degree, I think that's got to be a a big piece of this is if I'm hopefully if I'm part of the silent generation, I mean, I totally agree with you about the whole about feelings, but if I'm 70 years old and I haven't figured out my financial problems yet, I'm probably feeling okay with, with things the way they are. Like at least my income stream maybe is for most people, hopefully consistent at that age. Yeah, I'd like to make a big sweeping generalization slash statement with no data. Um, I feel like if you look at boomers down uh, and, and, you know, shift the generations, this none of this is making sense. Here's where I'm going. People are in a much worse financial situation from generation to generation than they were to the prior generation when that prior generation was their age. Right. I, I just think that's the truth. I mean, you look at the average 50-year-old today and what they have saved and what their retirement readiness score is, and it's substantially worse than what their parents score was when they were the same age. And the same is true. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And again, big sweeping statement, no data, and I have no solution. <laughs> well, I was going to ask that next. And actually, before we get to that, Adrian hanging out with us uh, says, I've had two layoffs within three years of graduating in 2016. This job market's hurt me emotionally and mentally, but fortunately, my emergency fund's healthy to get me through this. And I think this brings up, Pete, the point that I was wondering about. Like when you say there's no solution, I think maybe the solution is financial literacy at a younger age. To some degree, yes, because, and I saw something the other day that, that actually plays into this. You said self-care, right? Financial wellness is the ability to um, employ self-care, if you will. And, it, and, and this thing I saw argued that self-care is something that when someone who is financially stable wants to have an indulgence, it's just called self-care. And when someone who is not financially stable tries self-care, then it is considered irresponsible spending, right? So that is both sad and true, right? Because the whole point of financial stability is that when that dark moment comes and you need self-care, that you're not damaged in the process. Um, but then, of course, what also plays into all this, Joe, is how society at large looks at your decisions, which is another show, another podcast, probably another industry. Well, yeah, but I still look at that. I think about the days when uh, I was really struggling with money. And I remember I got to a point where I finally realized that the first thing I needed to do to heal my financial situation was to get to a point where I wasn't relying on on my next meal. Like if I could get to the point where I could think long-term about my life instead of, because I was finally starting to think long-term, right? I mean, that was the first thing was, wow, I'm thinking about five years out and not tomorrow. Uh, that was my first issue was getting past that. 
them. But then the second thing was solving that. Like if I could set up my financial situation so that I knew that tomorrow's meal was assured, then I could worry about, uh, about some big picture things and start building this foundation. And by the way, once I got to that, I remember, you know, talk about self-care. I remember my anxiety going down a lot, but you know, my nervousness, some of my, um, uh, uh, obsessions and inability to sleep. Like finally I could sleep again. And I found that it was, it, 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 it was like a ball um, rolling downhill. The momentum really picked up when I could do when I could handle all these things at once. Absolutely, you know our our uh, tagline at our organization is "Make tomorrow easier." Right, and as soon as you get opportunity and you use that to make tomorrow easier, as opposed to make today better, then I think that's where you cross. Uh, the good part of the line where you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to value stability. I'm going to value wellness, which will then allow me to extend into that self-care. Claudia has a point. I want to ask you about this, Pete, because, you know, you said you don't have any solutions. So let's just keep bombarding you with these. Claudia says, my kid just graduated with a degree in advertising. The only job he could find was minimum wage, social media manager, blogger, podcast editor in Orange, California. The good news is, Claudia, podcast editor is a badass job. That's good. I I know he can't live on badass job, but it's a badass job. Uh, And you're doing God's work, working with people like Pete and I doing God's work. Uh, he should be making twice as much casualty of, of, of COVID. So in an age like this, Pete, when your income stream maybe has, you've less control there. Do you teach kids then how to be more entrepreneurial? I mean, if, if, if kid has the ability to be social media manager, blogger, podcast editor, you might be able to do those yourself and make more money. Yeah. Two major things going on here. Number one, it all depends if he started his career in student loan debt or not, because that defines the rest of the next 10 years, at least, especially in these circumstances. But some of the best advice I've ever got was from a a tech entrepreneur that sold three tech companies over the course of like 15 years for a total of a billion dollars. Like, so uh, Joe, this guy is the sort of guy you run with, right? I mean, very, (laughs) right. Anyway, so he told me, uh, his name is Don Brown. I mean, he's just an amazing guy. He told me when you're in your 20s, when you're early 20s, there's no such thing as risk. So that is to say, you don't go, well, should I take the risk? No, there's no such thing as risk. Go and do it because you don't, you probably don't have a family depending on you. You don't have kids depending on you. Old guy like me, I can't take a lot of risk because I have a lot of obligations. When you have nothing to lose, that's the time to go. So to your point, Joe, yeah, absolutely. He will absolutely have a chance to take these skills that he's learning now, use his college education and problem solving skills to say, all right, well, I'm going to do something on my own and make more money because of it. Boy, I love that. I have always thought that that uh, people just out of college, way too worried about risk. I was way too worried about risk. So many people way too worried. If I had that to do over again, I wouldn't take as many risks. In fact, it's funny. I was listening to a new podcast this morning. Tig Notaro, uh, one of my favorite comedians, has a great yep. uh, 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 podcast where she answers listener questions, which is hilarious because she tells you right away that she is not qualified to answer anybody's questions. And of course, her first guest is a professional at answering questions, uh, Will Farrell. 
And, 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 and Will Farrell tells a story that I, I think Pete makes your point. He said that when he first started out, he had, uh, he had a degree was headed in one way, but he had done some comedy. He'd been with the groundlings, this, uh, this, this comedy troupe out in LA and it had gone fairly well. And he made this decision that he was going to try comedy. And he talked to his dad about it. And his dad gave him the advice. I think that is advice like yours. He said, you know, I think you're very skilled son, but I also know that a lot of this is a lot of this is completely, um, uh, luck dependent. Like if you hit it big in comedy or not, there's going to be a ton of luck there. And his dad then, and he said, Will stopped the story and said that he thought that that he should have been angry about that. You know, about no no no, it's not luck. It's gonna be me doing it. He said, but the cool thing is his dad's his dad followed it up by saying, So you should give it a shot, but be okay with the fact that two years from now, if if it doesn't go the way you want it, you can go back and do something else because you have that degree. So his dad said, Go do it and and don't worry about it. And, and and he said once he had the permission to fail, by the way, and he was okay with failure that things went much, much better. I think there's a, a, even another element that you, that you just spoke to. And that's this idea that before you really know what you want to do, you just have this vision of being well off, right? You were like, oh, I can go out to eat and I can go on vacations. I can have a nice car. So you have this idea. So when you figure out what you want to do, you really do have to go for it because your vision of success will revolve around that. And you are going to have to get rid of at least temporarily this idea that you're going to be well off because if you still hang on to that while you're going after your passion, you can run into a lot of problems because you're, you're prioritizing comfort, creature comforts, when in fact you need all that energy and focus and a lack of baggage to attack your entrepreneurial spirit. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like this episode is going to win a lot of awards, <laughs> a, ton of, a ton of awards. And you know what the best part of it is, is that we're going to have a big takeaway at the end of this. That's going right. to totally blow people's minds. That's going to be the best part, but we're going to make them wait for it for just a second, because I have to say a big thanks to the people who've used our link when they've gone to NordPass. In fact, it's, it's really cool. Our friend, uh, Peter in our, uh, Stacky Benjamin's Facebook group was talking about how much he loves NordPass. The way that it works is that it's a password manager so that you don't have to either number one, try to remember 50 million different passwords or number two, have one very clever password that you use everywhere. And then guess what happens? People figure out one password, they figure out them all. Instead, you can save passwords without leaving the browser, access your passwords anytime, anywhere. You save time, you focus on what matters. What's cool is you can log in fast. And the cool thing about NordPass, I usually, even me, I have no idea what my password is because NordPass creates this hard to control or hard to control, hard to remember password. What's fun about that, Pete, by the way, is that, uh, I saw a password as I was creating one yesterday through NordPass. The the number of uh, ampersands and exclamation points and underlines and all this crazy stuff that that I would never even remember is fantastic. But anyway, Cheryl and I also know, and you know this, Pete, from working with uh, couples, is that generally if something happens to one person, the other person doesn't know where everything is. It does not know. We have all of our information in one place at NordPass. It's all secure. You can check it out at nordpass.com forward slash MWF. They also give you a nice discount and 30 days free if you use our link, nordpass.com forward slash MWF. And uh, finally get your passwords organized. Pete, 
It's that time, man. The big takeaway. And I should do this. When you, when you give your big takeaway, I'm going to do this. Oh, at the end or before I do or should it? Or should I not do it. that? Yes. No, we, I like it. Okay, so I'll, do, I'll give something to change lives. And then you passive-aggressively hit the rim shot. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I think the takeaway here is the takeaway way I brought to it. It's just the idea that if you're struggling and you're in, you know, late teens to late twenties, uh, you kind of are forced to redefine what your priorities are. And that, I'm not, it's not condescending, like, Oh, go find a new career. Like maybe someone from the white house has said recently, it's, it's, you know, part of this experience is that you're going to have to adjust your goals because, uh, we're seeing way too many people with college degrees being forced back into the labor market, making minimum wage. And so I think if you get too hung up on, on what you used to think it used to be, or your life should be, you're going to be struggling from a mental wellness standpoint. So Joe, that's a really uplifting thing. How would you throw the rim shot on that? I, I, uh, I wish I had a, uh, Oh, I got to see. What's this one? Slow music. I should not. Have. That was brilliant. I actually thought that was, that was great. I got to stop playing around with these, but the, uh, you know, my takeaway is that whole discussion around risk. I feel like we, um, we spend too much time thinking about risk and we don't spend enough time thinking about the blue sky over our head. And I really feel like, and I'm not going to get the Michelangelo quote completely correct, but he said something to the tune of Pete, something like, you know, the, the, the question isn't about setting our goals too high and not reaching them it's setting them too low and easily reaching them. I think if we set our goals and we set our sights higher and we only achieve 90% of it, Oh, that stinks. That's, that's absolutely horrible getting 90% of far more than we ever would have dreamed. And I think the best time, and, uh, and I really like the fact that you mentioned this earlier, the, the best time to think about that is before you're encumbered. And I found that most of my entrepreneurial aspirations, most of my entrepreneurial stuff, I was married with twins, young dad, you know, trying to help support four people and it's not the best time to start out. There's, there's never a, a wonderful time to start out, but I would say that was suboptimal. Can, can I change my big takeaway to, I loved when you quoted a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? <laughs> can I change mine to that? Yeah, Michelangelo, he was the smart one. Absolutely. He had the orange uh, mask. He was wearing a mask back then, mask up like TMNT. Of course, their masks were over their eyes, not their mouths and nose. Never mind, everybody. Well, isn't the way it looks when you walk into Walmart anyway? Let's be real. Like That's everybody's, true. everybody's yeah. wearing the mask everywhere, except, uh, where, where it needs to be. All right. Enough on, on that. Pete, I heard you have this company called Hey Money. That's right, Joe. Uh, no, so, <laughs> you know, we think financial problem solving is uh, a skill. And we think if you take really smart certified financial planners and accredited financial counselors, and instead of making them try to sell people things and, and do all sorts of things to generate revenue, what if you just took those brains and have them solve people's financial problems for $19.99 a month. That's what Hey Money is. So if you go to callheymoney.com, then what you can do is you can form a relationship with a genius who will help solve whatever you're dealing with financially. That's callheymoney.com. And I bet you get all kinds of questions. I mean, I think about some of the questions like, should I buy or lease this car? Like, you know, the amount of money you're going to save by solving just that, really what seems like a small issue. Just solving that, uh, I think, it could be huge. 
Absolutely. And it's because there's really no blanket advice. You can read an article that tells people what they should generally do, but until you plug in your numbers and your life and your experiences, then you're not going to get the best answer. Google can't solve it at all, but callheymoney.com can. <laughs> and, and there's also a podcast where people can hear your voice far more often than you're here. Oh, absolutely. Especially when I'm on Money with Friends. <laughs> But the Pete the Planner podcast, come on, man. Work with me Pete here. Pete the Planner podcast, yes, I know. Uh, Pete, it's really good. Um, you know, it's me and a fella named Dame who's great, and we talk about money, and uh, it'll change It'll change your day. Yes, and uh, except when you change the music, then we just get angry. Stars. Yes, not, not changing the music. All right, everybody. Speaking of the music, we're going to change chairs here tomorrow. It's Bobby Rebell and I back for a couple episodes. Pete will be back with us again in a month. He's Pete the Planner. I'm Joe Salcihai. We'll see you back here again next time at Money with Friends. Bye-bye. This show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebell, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at moneyfriendspod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I am Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Bam, nailed it.